A sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around there that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, stand up, and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning I am beginning a four-part sermon series on the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark. In each of these passages, somebody, usually the religious leaders, asks the question why in response to something that Jesus or his disciples have said or done. In our text this morning, the scribes asked why Jesus would speak of a man's sins being forgiven. After all, who can forgive sins but God alone? Of course, when it comes to Jesus, that is precisely the point. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. In these opening verses of the second chapter of Mark, we find Jesus hanging out in the town of Capernaum after having finished his first concert tour of Galilee, where he'd been out proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, casting out demons, and healing the sick. But Jesus had become so popular that he could no longer go openly into the towns, but had to stay out in the the countryside where they could handle all of the crowds. But eventually, Jesus made his way back to Capernaum, I assume for a little rest, and the text tells us that he was at home, which probably meant 
the home of one of his disciples. But soon enough, word got around that Jesus was there, and so the crowd began to gather once again. And so Jesus began speaking the word to them, continuing to proclaim this good news of God of which he himself was the very embodiment. And the people just poured in to hear him, to be in his presence, to experience the kingdom of God in and through this extraordinary human being. In fact, the text tells us that so many gathered around that there was no longer any room for them, not even in front of the door. The place was stuffed to the gills and pouring out into the courtyard and into the streets. You couldn't even get close. People were so desperate to be near Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be something if this church became the kind of place where people were so sure they were going to find Jesus, that there were so many gathered around that there was no longer any room for them, not even in front of the door. Can I get an amen? amen. Well, in this town of Capernaum, there was a certain man who was paralyzed. Now, being paralyzed was particularly difficult in those days. After all, there, there were no wheelchairs or nurses or care facilities. You just had to hope that there were people in your life who would devote themselves to taking care of you 24-7. But other people always looked at you with great suspicion because they wondered what terrible sin you must have committed in order to deserve such an awful sentence. But perhaps the worst part about being paralyzed is that it always prevented you from fully participating in life. You were always excluded in some crucial way, never really a part of the community. And as a result, ailments like these usually took their toll on a person's spirit so that it became just as lame and lifeless as their body. And there are few things more devastating than a paralyzed spirit. Of course, we all know a little something about paralysis, don't we? Oh, sure, maybe we haven't actually had physical paralysis, but many of us have aging bodies that no longer move the way they once did or go the way we want them to go. Others of us struggle with emotional paralysis, whether caused by grief or depression, where your life just feels stuck and you can't seem to move forward. Maybe it's anxiety or fear that paralyzes you, preventing you from speaking up or, or taking a chance or just living life to the fullest. Maybe you feel lame and helpless in the face of some illness or, or some difficult circumstance in your life. Or perhaps you feel paralyzed in a relationship, completely at a loss for how to connect with your child or, or with a parent or, or even with your spouse. And I'm sure that, that many of us know all too well the 
the paralyzing power of guilt over things that we have done. Surely, all of us have experienced paralysis in one way or another in our lives, haven't we? I wonder, where is it in your life that you feel lame and powerless to move? Well, fortunately for the lame man in our texts, he had some pretty good friends. And when they learned that Jesus was there in town, four of them went and, and carried this man on his mat to the house where Jesus was saying, hoping, hoping to get close enough to Jesus that their friend might be healed. But when they got there, the, the place was so crowded, they couldn't even get close to the door. But they were determined to get to Jesus. So they got a little creative. They carried their friend up the stairs that ran along the outside of the house and up onto the roof. And they began to dig a hole right through the roof above where Jesus was so that they could lower their friend down to him. I can only imagine what this scene must have been like on the inside with mud and thatch flying everywhere. I'm sure members of the House and Property Committee came rushing over to assess the damage and stop the perpetrators. These people were persistent, and with great effort, they managed to lower their friend down and lay him at the feet of Jesus. Must have been some pretty special friends. Perhaps they were all related in some way, but whether they were or they weren't, they all treated this man as if he were family and they were gonna do whatever it took to help him. That's what it means to be family, after all. You know, when we talk about ourselves as a church family, it does not mean that we just get together twice a year at holidays, you know, Christmas Eve and Easter. No, it means we're supposed to, to, to spend time together, to get to know one another, to eat together like we're going to do after church, to, to go places together like on mission trips or, or to see musicals on a Thursday night like we did this week. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it also means that we help each other out in times of need, whether that means bringing someone food or writing them a note, or lending a listening ear, or, or stopping by for a visit, or, or, or giving them a ride when they need transportation, because that's what families do. They take care of one another. But perhaps the most important thing that we do for our family members is to carry them into the healing presence of Jesus, the great physician. And we do this most significantly through prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer even wrote that a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. This is why we put the prayer list out every week, so that we can all be praying for the members of our church family who are in need. And when we bring our prayers and our concerns and lay them in faith at the feet of Jesus, we can be sure that he hears us and that he cares. 
Notice, Jesus didn't pay any attention at all to the damage to the roof or all the chaos that it surely caused. He was just so struck by the faith of these four people who would stop at nothing to get their friend to Jesus. And faith like that is always irresistible to the Savior, who's the only one who has the power to heal not only our broken bodies, but our paralyzed spirits as well. And the truth is, we all need healing in one way or another, don't we? But perhaps the kind of healing that we all need most is forgiveness. For we are all sinners who have fallen short of God's glory and his good purposes for our lives. And that sin is like a wall separating us from God, the source of all life. But Jesus came to tear down that wall, to usher in the new covenant, so that our relationship with God might be restored, that our, our sins might be washed away, setting us free to be fully alive, no longer paralyzed by our past or our guilt. And so when Jesus saw the faith of these four people, his heart went out to their friend, and he said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. Of course, that, that did not go over very well with the religious leaders, for in their mind, this was blasphemy, the worst crime of all. And after all, only God can forgive sins. Who does this guy think he is? But Jesus, aware of what they were thinking, poses a question. He says, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, take your mat, and walk? After all, only one of those is verifiable, revealing whether or not Jesus was a fraud. But if the man were to be healed, it would prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was as good as his word and that he also had the power and the authority to forgive sins. So Jesus turns to the paralytic and says, stand up. Take your mat and go home. And the man did. And everyone was amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And of course they hadn't. Because no one had ever experienced the healing power of God in the flesh until God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said the things that he said and did the things that he did. For Jesus was not just a, a great teacher or an inspiring speaker or a role model or a wonder worker or a religious guru. No, when we come before Jesus, we are entering the very presence of Almighty God. So when Jesus declares that our sins are forgiven, we can be sure that it is God himself who has forgiven us. Again, that's why Jesus came. That we might be reconciled to God. That our paralyzed spirits might be healed. 
So you don't have to carry your guilt around with you anymore. You can stand up in freedom and walk into the new life that Jesus was just dying to give you. But like this paralyzed man, after we have experienced the healing power of Jesus and received his word of grace, he sends us back to our homes as well and to our schools and to our offices. But now we have a job to do. For now we too are called to go out and bring others into the presence of Jesus that they too might be healed. That might mean lifting other people up in prayer. It might mean inviting someone new to come to church or to a Bible study or to lunch. It might mean encourage someone to come back who hasn't been here in a long time. Or it might mean sharing the good news about Jesus with someone who doesn't yet know it. As Paul tells us, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, and he has entrusted this message of reconciliation to us. And we are called to share it. But we are also called to extend the forgiving grace of Jesus to the people in our lives who need mercy, especially those who have hurt us. As Paul says in Colossians, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And that is not always easy to do. Heck, sometimes it even seems impossible, doesn't it? But with God, all things are possible. And when you're overwhelmed with gratitude for the grace that you have received, you no longer feel the need to count the sins of others against them. Instead, you become free to forgive. And I'm telling you, if we as a church family will commit together to doing all of these things, going out and bringing others to the presence of Jesus, lifting one another up in prayer, helping each other out in times of need, and offering to others the forgiveness that has been so freely given to us. And I'm telling you, so many people will gather around that there will no longer be any room for them, not even in front of the door. And if that happens, I guarantee you, everyone will be amazed and will glorify God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Oh, maybe you'll say that that's just a pipe dream, preacher. Maybe. Or maybe that's just what happens when all of us invite Jesus into our home. May it be so. Amen.